1: podcast thank you so much for listening and making a commitment to learning hope you are doing well we are your hosts I am Jordan Porter joined with the beautiful Yvonne
0: Brandenburg <laughs> I feel like I need to do the intros again so I can give you super compliments by the way <laughs> I'm like I keep getting them you need them too
1: <laughs> I appreciate that because you are
0: also lovely and smart and talented Aww. see See, as technicians we need to do this for each other (laughs) we do this is very very true
1: (sighs) if you guys listened to last week's episode or if you listen to these out of order this would be
0: episode 42
1: yeah i was just i'm discussing episode 42 uh all about the dreaded
0: fluted cats with our
1: wonderful laura rosewell
0: joining us last week Uh it was so fun listening to that episode because I was like she has such a great accent I, love I know it. she <laughs> you know how like
1: she sounds be- beautiful like she just like <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I think we talked about this that we we Americans we love that we love that accent
1: well she did just a good job on the episode though in general like it was it was a very very well done episode
0: yeah. She, she had such great notes and the information she shared was awesome. So yeah, it was, it was, it was really good. And I think we've gotten some pretty good responses to it oh, too. Oh, so for sure. It's awesome.
1: So if you haven't checked her out yet though, please visit her website at com. She has super content on there. Like it's just, she does amazing stuff. If you guys still want
0: to yeah, continue to learn if you need, if you need another place to learn about internal medicine, it's a, it's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, I love how she, um, does, does her, um, Instagram and and Facebook posts. Like the, the images are really, you know, intriguing too. So that's fun. Yeah.
1: So yeah, just a little bit of housekeeping this week, a couple of new reviews that came in. The first one was from Zoe 018. New love for I Am. This podcast has helped me learn so much. As a baby RVT, I hopped right into surgery thinking that's where the intensity is other than emergency. (laughs) But because of this podcast, I have a newfound interest in internal medicine. I miss the patient care that goes into these cases and the stuff these ladies discuss make me crave more difficult and frustrating patients. Thanks for letting me know there's Mm. more interesting medicine out and making sure I don't lose the knowledge I gained from school. That's a very, very good review. I love it. Me too. Yeah.
0: And and it is, it is kind of funny when you, um, kind of go into other specialties within veterinary medicine and you go, Oh, right. (laughs) Yeah. There's all this other realm of knowledge that that I don't use on a daily basis. Yeah. It's, um, it is, it is kind of fun to keep you on your toes. It is. Um, it's most, most of the times.
1: Because every, every, <laughs> I feel like every subspecialty has its own chaos.
0: Like its yeah, own, like intensity. Definitely. Yeah. Like, like just an example of what she's talking about is, you know, she was in surgery thinking that's where the intensity is. Well, I feel like surgery, cause I've been working a ton in surgery right now. I think the intensity of those are the, in the moment, mm-hmm. like, um, very hands-on technical things, whereas like internal medicine is more um because again we do a lot of the follow-up it's more the working up and dealing with clients and and trying to figure out long-term stuff so it's definitely a different intensity um and and emergency is also you know it has its own thing so yeah I, I definitely agree I think each subspecialty has their own unique challenges and frustrations and things um, and other parts that are easy to do, <laughs> right? So I think that that's, you know, if if one specific thing doesn't call to you, try a different one, there's, there's plenty out there. So um, I love this review, it's a good one. Um, And then our second review this week is from Kaylee Sunshine, which I love, by the way. I think that's that's a great little name on your uh, uh, iTunes. Um, She says, so thankful. I am so thankful for these podcasts. Uh, As a newer technician, these have been a lifesaver when it comes to harder to understand concepts. These ladies have an amazing way of explaining things to where they just click. God. Sometimes I wonder, (laughs) um, she says I have recently started working in internal medicine and oncology at my new practice and feel that these podcasts have helped me become a better technician in my practice. Thank you.
1: I love it. It's our goal. (laughs) Right.
0: I, uh,
1: we just want to make others better. Well, I mean, everybody's great. But I know I, I can improve. Easier
0: to understand, <laughs> yeah. and yeah, and and I feel like Jordan, Jordan, and I luck out that we do the research for these episodes, and I feel like I learn every single oh for sure something. Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, not that I always retain that knowledge, no, <laughs> but I know that I have a place to go back to 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 learn about it again. Um, but yeah, it's it's about be, it's, it's about you getting that knowledge to help make your, your job a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. And you know, the relationship you have with your doctors and with your clients make that maybe a little bit easier too. Right. Because when you understand it, I think it takes the stress off of it a little bit. Um, but these honestly, thank you so much for the reviews. Um, please Kaylee and Zoe reach out to us so that we can get your stickers because we, um, we need to get your info so we can send them to you. And then again, if anybody, you know, anybody else wants to get stickers, wants, um, uh, us to read your review on the podcast, um, just go ahead and do your review on any podcatcher that you're listening to, whether that's, uh, Apple to, Apple. Apple podcasts. I think it's called, mm-hmm. right. It's not iTunes. It's Apple podcasts. Yeah. Um, and then we're having this huge following now on Stitcher, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. So we'll have to see, we'll have to go into our Stitcher and, and see what's going on over there because all of a sudden that just went crazy. Yeah, I, saw that. <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, definitely let us know, um, if you've done a review and we just haven't seen it because we, we want to make sure that, um, We say thank you because it's sincerely appreciated.
1: Very much so. So this week we're kind of ending our urinary renal series with urinary incontinence, potential causes, um, including a major cause being ectopic ureters. I do go into some pretty good detail about some ectopic ureters. (laughs) (laughs) Cause those ureters it they just don't get enough credit, we about.
0: <laughs> right? It's that middle child, yeah, again. exactly. We, we talked about yeah. that.
1: <laughs> so, um, the disease name for this so <laughs> I just put urinary incontinence, <laughs> I put urinary incontinence because that's the symptom I'll be talking about, but in reality, I'll be talking about two different diseases.
0: Oh. This is like a teaser to this episode,
1: isn't it? It is a little bit just because like, I, I had a good time writing these notes. I did a really good job on these notes. (laughs) Oh, I think somebody's feeling a little
0: bit. I was. Laura's notes were amazing. Laura's (laughs) notes were amazing. I had to step up my game. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um, So the definition though, it would be involuntary passing of urine from the urinary bladder. So that's where our patients are voiding urine from their bladder without,
0: yeah, without, you know, and, and this sometimes can be hard to figure out with clients, um, because it's, are they having accidents in the house because they're peeing in the house or are they having accidents in the house because it's leaking? And so, you know, when we're getting, when we're doing our, um, initial assessment with clients and asking questions, it's a good idea to say, you know, is it when they're sleeping like, is it just leaking out when they're sleeping? Is it, are they squatting? Cause if they're squatting, that is not urinary yeah. incontinence. If they're lifting a leg, that is not urinary incontinence. But if it just kind of like dribbles out of them and that, can, or it's a large amount that comes out, um, and they're just standing there, like they're not making any of those clear, like posturing things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and and that's really important is the posturing. And sometimes that can be difficult, especially if you've got like an older dog with really bad arthritis, oh, yeah. you know, and they don't want to get into the position, but you'll still see some signs, you know, that either they shift a little bit or they try to lift or try to squat. But again, urinary incontinence is they're not registering that they're urinating at all so um talking to clients and figuring that out is is yeah
1: we'll talk about it a little bit more a little bit later on but also things like is this pet normally very well trained to go outside Mm -hmm. I do have a few dogs who will for sure pee in the house and um they have specific spots Mm -hmm. though though, that like if it were anywhere else I would know (laughs) that maybe right it might be an issue, but because it's like very consistent, like, do they consistently go outside and have always urinated outside their entire lives? And now that's changing. Um, um, or is it a dog who, like, I have one of my dogs who will not urinate on a walk. Like if she's leashed, she has to, it's very annoying. She has to be in a fenced in like backyard (laughs) dogs. (laughs) Oh, please. (laughs) Um, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. So our anatomy and physiology though, I did enjoy this section, but we can refer back to episode 38 for the anatomy and physiology of just the the makeup of kidneys, ureters, bladder, urethra. Um, But remember that we kind of already discussed the ureters do not enter the bladder at the apex of the bladder. So that would be like the more cranial uh, side of the bladder closer to the head. They enter near the trigone. And in normal patients, this is just above the neck of the bladder, not in the neck of the bladder above the neck of the bladder in the trigone <laughs> there is a there's a huge difference um and then they enter the bladder like we we talked about this already they enter the bladder at an oblique angle so that way when the bladder becomes full those ureter openings collapse on itself so peristalsis can still push urine into the bladder but it can't flow back out um mm-hmm. because they close on itself when the which bladder feels
0: amazing up. that there's sphincters for that. Right.
1: And then around the neck of the bladder, there are circular sphincter, sphincter muscles like discussed in Lara's episode. They're composed of smooth muscle and skeletal muscles. Um, the muscles are under voluntary control though, and open and close so that urine is able to leave the bladder and enter the urethra, which I think, I mean, like, I guess I always... It's easy to think that urine would kind of pool in a urethra and that the sphincter is like near the opening of the urethra, but it's not. (laughs) Um, so I think that's something to just kind of remember. So that, that sphincter muscle is at the end of the neck of the bladder. Um, so urination can actually be called micturition or uresis, and it requires three steps to complete. So the first step would obviously be just urine accumulation within the urinary bladder. Um, Once the urinary bladder becomes full, it activates the the stretch receptors within the bladder wall. And then Mm. the stretch receptors trigger spinal reflex, which um, returns a motor impulse to the bladder muscles, causes them to contract and gives animals and humans um, the the sensation of Mm -hmm. having to urinate. So that works with the parrot. I got into neurology a little bit when I was like researching how the bladder works. Well,
0: which is smart because, you know, we do have to differentiate, you know, is Mm -hmm. it an, is it a nervous system issue or is it hormone or is it, you know, um, functional? So, I mean, it, it is important to understand that, These are, there are all sorts of reasons that you can have issues. That's kind of why
1: I got into the, like I got into neuroland when I was like, all right, so this is the parasympathetic nervous system. And I'll talk about it a little bit more, like when we get down further into the diseases about how the parasympathetic works versus the sympathetic um, and why it matters. But the parasympathetic nervous system though is really tightly triggered to the pelvic nerve So that's pretty important when it comes to Mm. urination and involuntary urination. Mm -hmm. Um, The sphincter muscle control is controlled through voluntary muscle control. However, a limit exists. And if I could insert like that mean girls meme of like the limit does not exist, but then just change it, like (laughs) scratch it out. A limit exists. A limit exists because the sphincter (laughs) muscle can definitely, you have those like dogs who are super good and will hold their bladder for hours. Yeah. But a limit exists. (laughs) Eventually that dog is just going to lose control. And that is not urinary incontinence. I'm pretty
0: sure we all have been there. Whether you were a kid or an adult, you've peed your pants. (laughs) For sure.
1: (laughs) For sure. But I think it's also Mm -hmm. cool to think though too, because I don't talk about it in this episode, but we've seen those cases where it's just urine overflow because Mm, they do have some sort of like neurologic thing. So their sphincter is actually working. It's not a urinary incontinence, but their sphincter is working, but they can't feel that sensation of having to urinate. So their bladder just keeps filling and filling Mm. and filling, which now that I'm thinking about it, it'd be cool to do maybe like a mini bonus episode on this, just because it'd be cool to get into the neuro side of like, why can't they feel that sensation of having to urinate? Um, mm-hmm. So they can't feel that sensation of their bladder needing to contract. And then um, and then they do have urine overflow. So it just fills, fills, fills until the sphincter can't hold anymore. And then it just leaks. And they don't actually the ur- like, urinate don't or know. empty the full bladder. <laughs>
0: yeah, they just leak.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And they get to the point where it's kind of like the dam overflow yeah. idea, right? Like, yes, stuff spills out, but the dam is still full. Yep. So that's kind of the same idea with the bladder and the sphincter control. That was yeah. a great
1: example.
0: Sometimes I can do yeah. that.
1: Um. So the urinary sphincter though is, I already said it's um, under the control of the parasympathetic nervous system. It's also under control of the st- sympathetic nervous system. So that like estrogen plays a very large role in influencing this urinary sphincter sympathetic nervous system. So this is why it's important to kind of remember when we do have these estrogen related urinary incontinence, that's playing on the sympathetic nervous system versus parasympathetic nervous system dysfunction would be like a neurologic problem. Um. And then remember though, too, if you remember from tech school, our sympathetic versus our parasympathetic, sympathetic nervous system is like our fight or flight. And then our parasympathetic is like relax and calm. And
0: so, so the way I remembered it was sympathetic is you have sympathy for them. So you want to fight or flight, mm-hmm. right? And then parasympathetic, relax and calm. I also think of peristaltic waves. Oh yeah. So nice. it's like your guts and smooth and are steady. like your steady. Yep. You're like, oh, I'm going to relax and chill and just digest this meal. So that's kind of how I go. Sympathetic is you have sympathy for them. You will fight with them. You'll fly, fly away with them. Right. Or you're parasympathetic, you're chill. You're just digesting your food after a big meal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And remember though, too. I remember
1: so I, I'm sure some people are like, well, what's that have to do with estrogen? But when we're in fight or flight mode, our hormones are just like being pumped out and just You you have adrenaline, you have estrogen, you have all these different hormones that are like, okay, my body needs to do something right now.
0: I won't say, oh wait, I can say this because this is a veterinary podcast. It is like being a female dog, right? You're you're in your fight or flight mode and you're being a female dog and that 100% has to do with estrogen. Yeah. So there. Because I've
1: never done that towards None of my husband or, or anything like that <laughs> so, or
0: our co-workers nah, nah, you no know, nah, nah. no no we're we're lovely cheerful people that never act like a intact female I'm doll.
1: parasympathetic all the time all the time <laughs> <laughs> Just... <laughs>
0: hmm. yep. yeah my natural state all of all of us are. yeah exactly <laughs> it's so easy
1: anyway <laughs> And I'm going into our history questions, how it might present. I slightly separated the difference between like urinary incontinence and ectopic ureters causing incontinence. Mm -hmm. So um, first we're going to talk ectopic ureters. Young dogs are more commonly affected because this tends to be a congenital abnormality of ectopic ureters. Mm -hmm. So Siberian huskies are well overrepresented. And I have to say the very, very first ectopic ureters case I saw was a husky.
0: So, huh. I think mine was a lab. Yeah, mine was definitely a lab. Well,
1: following in suit (laughs) would be mini poodles, labs, collies, corgis, westies, wire hair, fox terriers, um, which I'm, I don't know. I guess I haven't seen ectopic ureters too much. We actually just, (laughs) (laughs) it's funny because it's true. Um, every time I do an episode, like I see these cases, we had a lab come right. in yesterday.
0: I'm like, oh, I'm going to see some ectopic ureters this week, apparently. Yeah. yeah, we had a lab come in
1: yesterday with right. ectopic ureters, so I was like, well. <laughs> oh my gosh. that's funny. Um, female dogs are more commonly affected, but this could potentially be due to the fact that males dog have, male dogs have longer urethras, so they tend to show cleaner, uh, fewer clinical signs. So... It very well might mm. just be that, that these dogs aren't have them, brought into we just Yeah, they're not getting brought into the clinic nervous. for these
0: issues
1: mm. because when we talk about where the ureters your, are entering, like in a male dog, you think that even if it's entering the urethra, like they still have a longer distance between it get, between where it gets voided and where the mm. ureters are entering. So we just m- might not be seeing those cases cats have been reported with ectopic ureters, but it's super rare. So I'm sure there's a tech out there who has a weird cat that has ectopic ureters because that would be a technician's cat.
0: That definitely would be a technician's cat. Yeah.
1: Um, and then for our urinary incontinence or urethral sphincter mechanism incompetence, USMI or urinary spay incontinence, Middle-aged female dogs tend to be more affected versus, again, like I said, our ectopic earders tend to affect our younger dogs. Um, It's estimated that up to 20% of female dogs may become affected after spaying.
0: Right. Large
1: breed dogs tend to be more affected than small breed dogs, which kind of blows my mind because I feel like small dogs get all the problems. But um, common breeds include Boxers, Giant Schnauzers, Weimaraners, Rottweilers, German Shepherds, and Dobermans um same thing it can affect male dogs but with this it tends to be unrelated to castration hmm. also very rare in cats
0: yeah i don't
1: which thank goodness because cat pee smells the worst
0: <laughs> yeah seriously like, could you imagine
1: if I'd, you had a urinary incontinent cat and just cat pee everywhere especially if it was like a urinary incontinent male cat
0: oh Ugh. Ugh. no i mean can i imagine it Yes. Do I want to? No. <laughs> yeah. I feel, and we see, I feel like we see a ton of urinary incontinent animals because I, I feel like they get transferred to us because PDVMs are freaking out about all the other things it could be. And we're like, it's urinary incontinence. It's urethral sphincter mechanism incompetence. Yeah. We're going to give it some hormones. Yeah. I
1: think it gets like mistaken for like PUPD. And so yes, people will just feel so. like
0: they're peeing a Diabetes, lot. Yeah, kidney disease, all this stuff. Yeah. Well, and I think too, it, again, it, I think it comes down to having that conversation with the owner to, to really get to know exactly what is happening. You know, is it an accident? Is it just, you know, not non-cognizant leaking. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, a lot of people may just think it's behavioral and they're like, Oh, my dog just keeps peeing in the house. And it's like, okay, where are they peeing? And right. Exactly. Yeah. And there are some people because again, I don't understand why people think this, but there are some pet owners that just think that's a normal part of aging and there's nothing they can do. Oh, for sure. And I'm like, that's not normal.
1: Yeah, for sure. And these clients do, so they tend to report accidents within the house dribbling urine while walking is a big one. I ask people that frequently, and I'm not saying like Mm -hmm. they've urinated and then they stand up to walk away and they're still dribbling urine. I'm asking like just as they're walking around through the day, Are they dribbling urine? Are they just
0: dribbling urine and drips of urine throughout the house? Um,
1: Especially especially urinary accidents while in their bed uh, or sleeping, like Mm -hmm. Yvonne said earlier. So it's important to ask clients if they think their pets are aware of urination. So do they wake up? Are they startled? Or do they continue to sleep? Um, Because urinary... Mm -hmm. So especially with our like trying to differentiate between ectopic ureters and then just like sphincter mechanism, urinary leakage with ectopic ureters can occur in patients awake or asleep versus uh, like spay incontinence or uh, sphincter mechanism that tends to happen when they are like more relaxed because their sphincter Mm. might still be functioning, just not as well as Mm. normal. So when they're relaxed and they're sleeping, they tend to leak more. But during the day when they're awake and going about their daily business, they are not showing signs of leaking urine.
0: Right. And then it's, it's one of those things like when the other times when they're relaxed, so, um, sitting or laying down mm-hmm. or, you know, yeah. So you would see it in kind of those instances too. Not just, not just when they're asleep, but when they are relaxed. Yeah. Right? I mean, because And it depends on how severe it is. Yeah. Like how much they're being affected too is but usually they'll start seeing it at night, sleeping, and they're like, oh, the bed's soaked.
1: Yeah, versus our ectopic earters, those are gonna be those pets who are walking around the house just dribbling pee. Or they'll be playing yeah. and peeing <laughs> and like right.
0: Yeah. Um and it's hard sometimes to differentiate between behavioral and functional. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Cause I have a dog. If you come to visit my house, like She'll roll over and she'll pee. So, and I, I do talk about this a little bit. Um, Yay. It, it, it can be confused with submissive urination. Um, yeah. It can be confused with a lot of urinary diseases that can cause frequent urination. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, yep. But these patients also tend to present with like urine soaked perineum. Um, so sometimes evidence of urine staining or even urine scald, especially if clients aren't yeah. unaware or you have those like obese patients are just a little chunky yeah. in the rear they got a lot of junk in their trunk um yeah um and you like pull back their legs and you're like ooh. they're like Ow. yeah right it's like oh. red and raw yeah. and wet and just ugh yeah. um they yep. smell like urine uh the, they can have perivulvar dermatitis it's super common in these patients as well as like erythema of the vulva and then we can't forget about like saliva staining just from them licking. So our clients might not be noticing that they're leaking urine because it's happening when the patient's awake, but then the patient is cleaning themselves. They're just constantly licking their vulva. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, I bet you I'm certain that if that were to ever happen in my lab, like she would be constantly licking and she would, well, if she's black, but she would have urine staining or uh, saliva staining if she were a different color. (laughs) Like, yeah. Um. But yeah, so our differentials though can be basically any urinary problem or endocrine problem that causes PUPD just because it can be confused again with any, any disease (laughs) that causes excessive urination.
0: Well, and and I was going to say, this is one of those where it's almost like a diagnosis of exclusion because it's not like we can test. Well, I don't know if we can actually. You're going to find out. Oh, we're going to find out. I was going to (laughs) say testing for the hormone level, which, so I'm guessing since Jordan said it that way, that means that there is a test, but I'm Uh, guessing for hormones, but still. (laughs) Oh, okay. I was going to say for the hormone level. Um, but if there was one, it'd probably be more expensive than just doing a drug trial.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there's ways to try to differentiate, but
0: but yeah, it's, again, it's a diagnosis of exclusion where you rule out all everything out.
1: So ectopic ureters, we're going to kind of discuss what's happening in the body when a patient has ectopic ureters. So this occurs when either one or both of the ureters opens into the bladder at any other location than the trigone. So again, this can... Happen with one ureter, so one ureter is normal, it's in the trigone of the bladder, and then the other one's somewhere else. Um, hmm. or you can have both, which would suck because if you have yeah. one, then there's still potential for like normal urination and less leaking, versus if you have both dudes just constant urine being pulled straight into the urethra, like ugh, that would suck. Um, mm. the locations can widely vary on where these yeah. go. Same with how they enter into the bladder can vary. So it occurs just due to a developmental defect in a fetus. Um I don't any sort of developmental f- defect. <laughs> like <laughs> right. no, nothing specific, just it occurs when they are a fetus is my point. <laughs> like um so there's extramural ectopic ureters, and this can happen when one or both of the ureters completely bypasses um, entering into the bladder and then enters further down into the neck of the bladder or sometimes even directly into the urethra. Um, so mm-hmm. instead of being in the trigone in a normal position, it's just a little bit further down in the neck or even, like I said, in the urethra. Um, because you got to think about it, though, too, that if they were to enter into the neck of the bladder, yes, the sphincter's still there but that urine's getting put right in like where that sphincter is. So it just yeah. I- instantly triggers that whole like need to pee and it opens or mm-hmm. you can just bypass that altogether and just go straight into the urethra and then there's nothing holding it in. <laughs> like, Yay. And then an intramural ectopic ureter enters the bladder at the trigone, but only like on the external surface. So then it'll tunnel through the bladder wall and then enter Into the urinary tract, like down further, and that typically happens in the urethra as well. So it's like, you know, when you get a Capri Sun and you put your straw in, (laughs) and you get it in, but then you go out the other side, (laughs) like in a different location.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it's and it's important to remember, like when I think of the bladder, I think of it being super thin, but it's not Mm -hmm. right. We talked about it in the last episode um, that there's multiple layers. To the bladder wall and so you know this this duct that comes from the kidneys you know it's thin it's very thin so it could easily just kind of go right through the layers of the wall and instead of coming out just kind of keeps going because it's like oh I'm just gonna not make be where my own I'm path. supposed to be you yeah. know
1: what that your murder's like forging its own path it's fine it's just <laughs> like <laughs>
0: Yeah. There's no issues. No, no, same. no,
1: not at all. <laughs> um, ectopic ureters can also have more than one opening. So Ugh, an example of yeah. this would be like a multi-lumen pick line. So, which would really suck. Um, <laughs> because
0: and I've seen this so like you can, and you can have a bunch, like I think the one that we had had, uh, I want to say it was like four to six different openings oh that entered into the bladder. And we were just like, great you know, and, and so, uh, that does require intervention. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, so like I kind of said earlier, like if there's only one ureter that's ectopic, pets can urinate normally while still leaking like just a little bit throughout the day. But if ureter, if both ureters are ectopic, the bladder can't fill normally and these pets will consistently leak just all day, every day, day and night, no matter when.
0: And that's hard because then you're going to have, um, you're going to have a client that has this pet, right. And it's usually a young puppy Mm -hmm. and they're going to be super frustrated that they can't potty train the puppy. Mm -hmm. And they're going to think it's behavioral when you're like, ah, crap, it's not behavioral. So that can be really frustrating because you may not, you may be having a conversation with the client. And again, they may be talking about the fact that they just can't puppy train this this puppy. It's like, she just keeps urinating all the, all over the place. And so it may take a while for someone to say, hey, is she squatting? Is it just happening when she's laying there? You know." And so again, as technicians, it's up to us to just maybe probe a little bit further instead of just assuming that it's just a puppy with potty training issues.
1: Well, and I think too that people assume that like, I mean, kind of like I said earlier, like it's that submissive urine or like it's Mm -hmm. excitement. So like a puppy comes and it leaks urine when someone's near it. But in reality, like the puppy's probably doing it elsewhere. You just, they, the owners either can't see it or don't notice it. So they just think it's like, oh, well it's when I said hi. Right.
0: Yeah. So, and that's why, you know, it, it, it sometimes can be like that middle, like six months to a year where they go, oh, they should be potty trained by now. What else is going on?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, Versus our USMI, so urinary sphincter mechanism insufficiency. So these these pets can urinate normally, but they'll tend to leak at rest, kind of like we already talked about. The cause for this actually does tend to be unknown. It's thought to be due to estrogen deficiency, um, can also be due to uterine stump adhesions which like after a spay, yeah. which can hinder sphincter control. Um, mm-hmm. And it can also just be due to like damage to the urinary supporting structures again during spay. Um, mm-hmm. And that can,
0: or babies.
1: Yeah. Or baby. Yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, like for, for all those techs out there that have had babies and they're like, ah,
1: <laughs> so this urinary incontinence can actually occur within days to years of a spay. So, you know, super mm-hmm. specific. <laughs> yeah, um, it's like, okay. But it can also occur in unspayed females. So I think that's, that's one of the reasons why it's hard to actually blame a spay procedure for this. We don't yeah. know for sure if this is the cause. And I mean, I suppose it would be more likely if it occurred within days. But occurring within, like, years, like, it can just be an old age thing. Um. There are several other causes for urinary incontinence that I'll just kind of briefly touch on. A lot of neurological disorders can lead to urinary incontinence. Um, Like I said, diseases that affect the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system. So these diseases would include, I'm not going into detail because neuro is not my thing. I looked into it a little bit for this episode, but I didn't look into it a ton. So lower motor... Lower motor new- neuron disease, upper motor neuron disease, brainstem lesions can cause urinary incontinence, detrusor, atony, uh, detrusor, urethral, dyssynergia dysynergia, sorry for any neuro peeps who I'm butchering these termination, uh, terms. Urethral obstruction can cause urinary incontinence, vaginal abnormalities, urinary tract infection. I had to throw it on the list because that can definitely cause yeah. some leakage. Um, oh for sure yeah. and then infiltrative bladder diseases, so this includes just like cystitis, like inflammation, polyps, cancer, bladder stones mm. everything that can go wrong inside a bladder could potentially cause urinary incontinence um, true, especially like cancer like but typically you'll see other signs uh, <laughs> and then um, diagnostic tools I'm glad that Laura talked about some of the different yeah. <laughs> different contrast mediums like last episode um, for kind of determining whether or not we have ectopic ureters radiographs can be helpful so um, excretory u- uh, urography so this is where and this is what I've done before mind you this was in GP like forever ago but I administered like an IV contrast material watch the contrast move through the kidneys into the bladder and then we determine there where the urine was entering the bladder. Um as we just we kind of yeah. like it immediately took x-rays like over and over and over again to watch the contrast move through.
0: Yeah. And I was gonna say to make it easier, that would be fluoroscopy, but it'd be kind of doing the same thing. Um yeah but most practices don't have fluoroscopy. So no you would take your x-rays to see if you could figure out where the um the dye is going and hopefully yeah. you catch it which would be fine. Yeah, yeah,
1: because you do run the risk of not catching it. Like you have yeah. to be and this is important though too in my opinion pretty much for anything you're looking for on radiographs take multiple views. Don't just do mm-hmm. a right lateral mm-hmm. because sometimes you can't see things like a, a VD would be very helpful in these positions. <laughs> Um, or a DV or an oblique or, I mean, just take, so we'll do like a right lateral on a VD and then the next set we'll do a left lateral on a VD and then we'll just kind of go back and forth alternating until we see what we need to see. Um, yeah. Ultrasound can be useful in diagnosing ectopic ureters, just because what my, my, uh, internist does is we'll turn on the Doppler and then we'll watch urine flow as it just like squirts into the bladder. Uh, I
0: think I think I have a video of it. I'll see if I do and then we can upload it. Yeah,
1: we'll have to paper. see because it is it's very fun. it's very rewarding. Um, CT yeah. scans with contrast kind of the same principle. They're running through a CT scan pretty fast. you give IV contrast and mm-hmm. you can kind of see where it's going. Um, like Yvonne said, fluoroscopy is super helpful, but again, mm-hmm. not everybody has access to fluoroscopy. Yeah. And then cystoscopy. I have a video of this. I think I shared it.
0: Yeah, I think I think I remember seeing the the video and and that you shared, which was super cool um, because you. I think we saw the urine. Yeah, you could see. into the bladder, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah.
1: cystoscopy and CT scans tend to be the most reliable in diagnosing ectopic ureters because you can see exactly where it goes.
0: <laughs> right. Um, yeah. <laughs>
1: And then for diagnosing USMI, there is a urethral pressure profile that can aid in diagnosing this. So what it does is, I don't know how it does this. I don't know what you need to do, but I don't have access to this test. So what it does though is, is it, yeah, it looks for a pressure spike in normal dogs. There's supposed to be a pressure spike um, where basically- Like in
0: the bladder?
1: Yeah. Yeah, like of the sphincter.
0: Saying?
1: Yeah, it's oh, measuring the oh. pressure of the sphincter. So I'm assuming it's some sort of tool that goes up in there. Um like
0: a uh, manometer? Yeah. Some sort of manometer? Yeah. And mm. so
1: in a normal dog, it, this, when the sphincter closes, it, it like does a pressure spike. And you can see it on a chart. But in dogs with USMI, the pressure spike tends to be either dramatically reduced or just non-existent whatsoever. Um, Interesting. But... Diagnosis tends to be made on clinical history alone. So,
0: yeah, I was going to say clinical history and then response to drugs. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, Drug <laughs> trial. Um, yep. So for treatment for these patients, so for our ectopic ureters, surgery still considered the treatment of choice for our extramural ectopic ureters. So these are the ones that do go all the way into the bladder, but just at a different location. And surgery will relocate the ureter or ureters and replace it in the proper position with the urinary bladder. Um, laser ablation can be used for intramural ectopic ureters, and then um, the thing that's great about laser ablation is it can be done at the time of like diagnosing. So if you're doing a cystoscopy and you find or discover ectopic ureters, you can just go ahead and move straight to the laser ablation. So it can all be done at like basically one appointment.
0: <laughs> um, as long as you have the tool for the laser ablation.
1: Yep. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but correcting ectopic ureters can actually lead to sphincter damage and inhibit the control of sphincter mm-hmm. control leading to USMI. So you still have a leaky dog, but they just might not be leaking as much. They might not be leaking all the time versus just leaking when they're relaxed. Exactly. Yeah. And then treatment for USMI is definitely managed more on the medical side.
0: Alpha adrenergic agonists, (laughs) such as um, phenylpropanolamine. I'm saving poor Jordan. I know. Phenylpropanolamine, ephedrine, pseudoephedrine, um, which is kind of crazy because... I've never used either of those two. I know. I'm like... (laughs) I know. I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah. And and cause I think, yeah. <laughs> and then those are, those are nice because it helps increase smooth muscle tone. Um, and then again, remember we've got smooth muscle versus skeletal muscle. So the smooth muscle tone of that sphincter and then, um, which is that's PPA, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So PPA tends to show improvement in about 85 to 90%. Of female dogs with USMI. Mm -hmm.
1: So it's important to know though with phenopropanolamine that like it it affects blood pressure so our hypertensive patients can become more hypertensive. Now mind you this was more of a concern in humans than it was in animals but it still should be noted that it can seriously affect like our heart patients um, or patients that already have hypertension and of course if there's overdose.
0: I was going to say, and, and especially overdose. so I, I was telling Jordan, um, we actually had a greyhound that ate like the entire bottle of PPA because it's a chew treat. So why, I don't know why a greyhound of all creatures would have done it. But, um, one of the things it can do is like cause extremely high blood pressure. And so she, um, actually had she she ate the entire bottle had high blood pressure and she actually ended up having like a brain bleed um and actually saw blood you know go into her eyes and stuff and it was crazy um and unfortunately by that point um there was nothing we could do to reverse it because she already had the bleed um and so she ended up being euthanized and I'll never forget that because I was just like oh my gosh um and so for a long time, PPA just wasn't really available. And that's one of the reasons why it's out of favor is because there can be issues with it, but there are animals that do great with PPA. It's just one of those things where you need to make sure that the clients understand, you know, definitely keep it out of reach of pets because it it can be, it can be really toxic slash fatal, you know, if they chew the entire bottle um and then the other the other ones that you know we we probably are a little bit more familiar with these days because it's becoming a little bit more popular are estrogens so um diethylstilbestrol or des um, or estrel, uh, the, that's kind of a little bit more common these days. And what it does is it increases the urethral closure pressure. So it basically makes it so like, think of the door, it closes harder instead of just like gently closing. Um, but the cool thing is, is you can actually use this in conjunction with your alpha adrenergic adenus. So you can use DES, DES and PPA, um and that can can work to really increase the responsiveness of the um alpha adrenergic agonists
1: um, so. <laughs> you like how i just oh, wrote aaa's because i was I like, not, like a- i was like i'm not A-A-As. doing this
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> i would have just copy and pasted but you know oh i, just I was shortened to triple a's it's cool yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was just
1: i was doing a really good job with these notes Um,
0: I I like them so far. Good (laughs) job.
1: (laughs) And then there's actually been like, I think this is more recent, but uh, cystoscopic injections of collagen. Um, and that's used as like a bulking agent. So what it does, it's injected into the periurethral tissue, which, um, narrows the lumen allowing just for more effective sphincter closure. So it's like, Botox yeah. for, the, or the collagen injections for the lips, just for your <laughs> urethra, like nice and plump. That's
0: interesting. Yeah. that's interesting because, um, just picturing the urethra, just like this big opening, right. And mm-hmm. you have your sphincter. It's one of those things, like the bigger, like think of a door opening, right. And mm-hmm. so if you have a bigger door opening, you need heavier duty doors versus if you we close that narrow, that gap, the door doesn't need to be as hefty. Yeah. So if you have a flimsy door, we want to close the doorway to make it work Yeah, better. exactly.
1: And a lot of times it looked like um, some of the studies were showing that like if you have ectopic ureters and they go in and they fix an ectopic ureters while they're in there, yeah, they'll do the cystoscopic injections of the collagen at the same time just because it can lead to the sphincter dysfunction. Mm, um, so then, hmm. but those injections do need to be repeated, um, usually Mm. within months to years. So it really depends on each patient on how long those injections last. And I can't imagine that's a cheap procedure considering you have to do a cystoscopy to do it. But
0: Hmm. according
1: to a lot of the papers, it sounds like it works pretty well. (laughs) So yeah. So client communication, I think is pretty big just because Like with a lot of our internal medicine cases, nothing is a guaranteed fix.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. It is not Um, like surgery where you put a, put a, you know, pin through something and it's. Yeah. It's better. stable. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And then it heals over time. Like it's not, it's not like that. A lot of times the medication. Medications need to be adjusted. Um, medications mm. need to be used in conjunction with one another. Sometimes there's more procedures that need to be done. Sometimes things just improve 50%, but not hundred percent. And so yeah. I think it's important to really uh, kind of help set the expectations for these clients.
0: Yeah. I, and, and client communication, I think that's key. I mean, God, like that's what we do in internal medicine, right? So making sure we, we help them through the process to understand what to look for and what our goals are and, and making sure we have those realistic expectations. Um, Because, you know, if we, if we give them worst case scenario, best case scenario, obviously we, we hope that we get the best case scenario, but we want to prepare for worst case scenario. And again, I mean, that's all, that's all setting expectations so that clients aren't, mad if things don't hit the best expectations that we're looking for. So, and then some of the, the, one of the cautions that we have for this is just understanding, um, the importance of good hygiene with these patients. So we talk to our clients to talk to them about just making sure, you know, um, we try to keep them as clean, our patients as clean as possible to help reduce the risk of a urinary tract infection from just that, that damp environment uh, around the vulva or the prepuce and then urine scalding to hopefully, you know, prevent that from happening. And then because of, you know, the potential risk of UTI, because again, those sphincters are not functioning properly, diapers aren't always the greatest for these patients. Yes, we can use them, but owners need to be very careful that we're not going to get continued like urine scalding from urine, sitting in a diaper, touching the pet and being a problem. So, so it's all stuff to really talk to clients about.
1: Yeah. We didn't talk about that a whole lot just because I had so much stuff that I wanted to get in. (laughs) Yeah. So
0: it's the tip of the week.
1: My tip for this week is just a tool that I learned like early on in GP that baby wipes tend to make a great tool for these (laughs) patients. Um, I mean, mind you, if you don't have kids, baby wipes are a great tool in general. Like I didn't learn how useful baby wipes (laughs) were until I had kids because like I used them for everything. Like, oh, my desk is dusty and I would take a baby wipe and I'm just like... (laughs) They're so good. Like, they're good to clean your car, like, the inside of your car. Like, baby wipes are legit, like, the Swiss Army knife of just, like, uses.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I might have to get some baby wipes for home. I just have Clorox wipes. I mean, that kind of works. I wouldn't use them on my pet. No, but those are
1: more expensive. And then, like... Yeah, you know, so baby wipes are great. So we I used to discuss with clients about just using these to clean your pet, um, clean their volvular mm. area after urination, or just kind of throughout the day. Um, especially if they are a little leaky, you don't have to do it just after urination. Just try to set a schedule, do it three or four times a day. Um, mm. There is a small amount of alcohol in these baby wipes, so I did try to make a point to not use these with our moderate to severe urine scald pets. Um, so if they were really just raw, like it can burn a little. Ooh, like,
0: yeah, there, there are other wipes that you can use. Just be very careful about what's added into them. You want to kind of have minimal stuff added. In. Yeah. Um, but, but they do make
1: baby wipes now without alcohol because babies mm-hmm. get like
0: poop scald on them and like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Which is how I learned that baby wipes had alcohol in them. Cause I was like, Oh, my baby's crying <laughs> when I wipe their butt. <laughs> so or
0: kids. They're like, Oh,
1: i know they're like it's, it hurts but of course i can't say that they just scream mm-hmm. um
0: <laughs> and they're like i'm fine."
1: yeah but baby wipes are really great especially for these pets just because like it's not hard for a client to just it's just like a baby just go up and like wipe real quick and then let them go about their business and exactly. they're fine so
0: and now for the question of the week
1: Meow. so question of the week this week was what was your first ever ectopic year to case if you've ever seen one. Um like I kind of said earlier mine was a, a five-month-old husky puppy. So very classic for this <laughs> <super laughs> stuff. Um what we did is we performed contrast radiographs. So I administered IV Iohexol um and then performed immediate radiographs, just m- multiple radiographs over and over and over until we could see where the contrast was entering the RNA bladder. That patient ended up going to university for surgical correction she did great she was on um medications like afterwards just because of mild leaking when she was relaxed and stuff like that but she she did stellar so
0: nice what about you yeah i i think uh mine was a golden retriever puppy actually i don't think it was a lab i think it was a golden retriever puppy um and i think i think we saw it on ultrasound Hmm. um and then I think she went to UC Davis to have laser ablation. Um, oh, cool! Yeah, because we didn't we didn't have the laser ablation at the time, um, so we we sent her to UC Davis and and she did fine. She did great afterwards. Um, I don't remember follow up though. I think we may have. I think it was lost to follow up. Honestly, I think um, I think the primary vet kind of took over after that. Yeah,
1: and then the university um, probably just stuck with it a little too.
0: Oh, yeah, exactly. Yep.
1: You were the middle child in that. And just like, we
0: were. We <laughs> were like, it. Bye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're going to
1: fix it. And <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: um, but that's it for this week's episode. If you want to answer the question of the week, we will post it to our Facebook page. Um, the internal medicine for vet techs podcast page. Um, and then it will also be posted on the website under the show notes, feel free to answer, or if you just want to email us, that's cool too. Um, we've been receiving a lot more emails lately. It's been great.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yes. (laughs) It is fun. And, um, it does take me a few days
1: to reply and I apologize.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, um, I've been a little bit behind on my emails, so, uh, I think this weekend, cause we were recording on a Saturday. I think the rest of the day I may be catching up on a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. cause whew, I got, I got a little behind guys. So don't worry. Um, I should be responding soon. Jordan should be responding soon, but if we don't respond to you, um, please, please reach out again. Um, we're not we're not trying to slight you, I promise.
1: <laughs> no, I'm very like, <sighs> I hardly check my email when I'm like working throughout the week. Like, yeah, so it's like and Tuesday like through the Friday. I'm weeks
0: like, have been a little bit crazy. Yeah, a little um, bit. It's just
1: a lot of birthdays. Like, I have a lot going on on the weekends. And then, like I said, Tuesday through yeah. Friday, like, I'm just work. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, I'm almost Same. coming out of birthday season. The kids are almost back in school. <laughs> like,
0: oh my god, that's awesome!
1: Well, is it not birthday season?
0: I well, I, I'm not going to say no.
1: <laughs> Us Leos, we gotta <sighs> gotta stick together.
0: It's it's our birthday week. It's great. I know. What are the odds that we share a birthday week? <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's kind of amazing. I mean, we're meant for each other, Yvonne. <laughs>
1: cue music and then
0: cue music get us out of here before we keep talking about ourselves right? <laughs> uh, all right guys well, peace, you guys
1: <laughs> have a wonderful week and please keep getting your learn on and then let us know if you want to hear anything specific we are starting a new series next week so get ready Ooh, i'm not going right. to tell you what it is yet um oh
0: we're gonna how you're such a tease okay just General body system, do it, do it. Well, that's not fair. All right, fine. Stick around, listen to (laughs) (laughs) us. We're starting a
1: new body system.
0: (laughs) Yay! Kind of Um, organ system. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a body. You can say it's a body system. It
1: falls under another body system. because all right well there's your teaser guys
0: join us (laughs) next week
1: to find out what the hell we are talking about and (laughs) we'll chat with you guys later
0: all right you guys have a great week keeping your rock star get your learn on and uh, we'll talk to you next week bye thank you for listening to today's episode of the internal medicine for vet techs podcast if you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at vettex.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.